all you movie junkies and cinephiles, it's time for the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. And welcome, one and all, to episode 362 of the SLS Cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is the nice France episode of SLS Cast because it turns out that back in 1893 in Nice, France, okay, really it's Nice, but still, uh, a guy by the name of Auguste Charlois, uh, discovered a planet, a planet called Havnia. More to the point, 362 Havnia. With that wonderful little bit of minor planet designation knowledge, I, of course, am Matt. And coming to us all the way from sunny California would be our resident Sony employee, Tim Havnia Nice, France. <laughs> ah, so clever. Oh, oh Matthew, oh, I am drinking. Hurt my sides. Huh? You're, I'm sorry, you're drinking? What? I am, I'm drinking. For the for the first time ever on the SLS cast, no, <laughs> no, no. I just haven't done it in quite some time because I've done something called not drinking during the week. And I decided to break that because I thought, you know, Hell's Bells, the spirit of Christmas came up inside of me. And I should embrace it and enjoy it. So I thought I should feel a little toasty uh, for our pre-Christmas, Christmas, and post-Christmas episodes. Because we are definitely not recording three episodes back-to-back. And maybe I need a little help. Well, good. I I (laughs) just remember the last time I was doing some stuff... um, that that involved the drinkity drink and yeah I don't, I don't know that uh it was as good as um it was as good as uh, i i thought it would have been so you know that and i've got a lot of stuff to do for work and everything so i guess it wouldn't be very fun to do that well yes i mean you definitely have more of an important job than i do and i think we would all be <laughs> upset if you didn't have said important job anymore because <laughs> because of this show. But most importantly, you were at Florida Disney World, Orlando Disney World, during the Christmas time. Matthew, last week Christmas festivities on our show on our show on our show uh, were not festive enough. Please tell me that you received Christmas overload. From visiting Disney World in December. Well, sure. Um, it was fun. Okay, so um, the the primary purpose of the trip was actually to go to Universal. Oh. Where we got to see um, the Harry Potter worlds as well. And uh, that was the whole reason we went. We got a really good deal on a weekend out there uh, through a meetup group where we got run of the park um with all you could eat, all you can drink, all you can ride. Uh, and so for two nights, it was a little, it was like 280 bucks. So I'm like, yeah, I think we could do that. And then, um, we got a really good deal on the flight and the room. So it was like, cool. Um, you know, all in a little under 800 bucks and the, the wife and I could go 
out there. So we did all that. When we were there, we realized we were going to be there in time to do the new Star Wars stuff. So we went ahead while we were there, bought the tickets to Hollywood Studios, and we went there um, for the day, to, literally just to go do Star Wars. And I will say that Hollywood Studios is really cool when it's done up for Christmas. Um, you wouldn't think it, but it's definitely because of the Art Deco style and the architecture and everything. Um, they match the Christmas decor to that. And so it's really, really cool. It, it is truly like stepping back in time, even for Christmas. So that was really cool. Um, being able to see Universal, um, done up for Christmas was also really cool, especially going to, you know, Harry Potter world and, or the wizarding world of Harry Potter, as it were, and see all that kind of stuff too. Well, that sounds lovely. I mean, visiting Hollywood studios, I've never been, but in some weird, funkitated way, it's like you were here with me. I felt your, your presence because, you know, you were in something that might've resembled where I currently live. Yeah, see, there you go. So you went you went to the Galaxy's Edge, and I assume you did both rides that are there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, did both of the rides. And, Had to, of course. Yeah, and we, we uh you were telling me how awesome the uh the new one was. Which one is what's that one called? Rise of the Resistance. Rise of the Resistance. And mm-hmm. the Millennium Falcon one, how does that one compare to Rise of the Resistance? So maybe, just maybe, it was because I got to do Rise first. Maybe. Just maybe, it was because uh, I was on day three of a very, very, um, while absolutely fun-filled uh, weekend, but very exhausting. Um, there had been no sleep for several days. I hadn't gotten any sleep even before we left, much less while we were gone. Um, maybe the fact that we had, um, perchance discovered a way to smuggle contraband into the parks, um, like condoms? played heavily. No. Guns? Tasers, smoke bombs, grenades. No, 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 and no. Sexual devices. More, like... more the stuff. More the stuff you're doing now. You don't know what all I am doing right now. You don't even know if I'm wearing pants. Well, maybe you're juggling your smoke bombs around. I don't know, but I, I do know you said you are partaking in the old alcohol. Oh yes, yes. So maybe all of those factors came into play. Maybe the fact that my my legs were really tired and my feet were getting really sore. Uh, maybe the fact that there was, um, when you walked up to the line, there was an 80-minute wait, and I waited 130 minutes. Played into it. For the Millennium Falcon ride. For the, yeah, for Smuggler's Run. Okay. But given all of those things, yeah, Smuggler's Run kind of sucks, like, like pretty bad because you control it right or whoever's in the uh, cockpit kind of Rita. kind of two people get to be the pilots two people get to be the gunners and two people get to be the engineers if you're the pilots um one of you hand handles the lateral movement and the other one literally handles the up and down 
and you've got to, and everybody's got to try and work together. Naturally, the vast majority of people have not been on the stupid thing before. You do get scored and you do get different endings based on how well you do. Also, um, with the app that, um, I had mentioned either just a little bit ago or during the pre-show, um, there's an app that you can use while you're in Galaxy's Edge for the Disney Play, which is a just gaming. It's it's literally designed for you to play games while you wait in line, so your wait isn't uh, atrocious. Um, and so you can tie your score into that app and stuff. Well, the problem is, is that that makes that means that the ride is not designed for now while it's new. The ride is designed for you know five years from now when people have been on it for a while and can come back and learn how to ride it, learn how to do the different things and have fun with it, see the different endings, you know, interact with the score if you want to. But in the meantime, it's like four and a half minutes of what the hell am I doing? And you don't really get to sit back and enjoy it. Uh, and there's no way to just say, hey, can I just sit back and enjoy it instead of trying to interact with everything? So, it just, it, it literally, it's, it's fun and it's neat and it's interesting, but it's not exciting and it's not like a really solid experience or a really good ride because that's all you're, that's all you're waiting on. It takes multiple rides and it's, and, and the, and the ride itself is not worth that long of a wait. Like, you know, 45 minutes or less, cool. Anything more than that, you're literally wasting your time. And there were people who were waiting for hours, like while we were sitting in this line that just never seemed to move and just kept being longer and longer. There were people still queued up. By the time we got out, the ride, the, the queue was over two hours long, you know, well over two hours long. And I'm like, I just wanted to get out there and just tell them, I'm sorry, guys, it's not worth it. Please don't go. But there were people who had been on it before. There were people who had been on it before who were telling us, hey, so this is what you need to do and you'll do okay. And I'm like, what? And so, yeah, so we ended up being engineers because our, um, our friends who went with us, they had gotten to do the pilot thing. But see, and we did really well in our group. We did really well because the, um, even though the pilots weren't the best, they kind of had an idea what to do because the two gunners had done it a bajillion times and told everybody what to do. And so our friends who got to be the pilots were really excited to be the pilots, but then they're like, yeah, we sucked and we just crashed the ship. <laughs> All over the place. Let's take a moment to thank our sponsors, uh, Disney Parks and Lucasfilm for... <laughs> no, okay, so, and I was interested in hearing about that because I'm a... I mean, I'm not a fan, but I, I like to watch, like, the high-quality park ride walkthroughs that people do. And uh -huh. uh, especially for, like, the Disney Parks over in Tokyo and France that we don't get here stateside that are really, really cool. Like the Pirates of the Caribbean in Tokyo, I think, is freaking amazing. And I highly oh, suggest... You're oh, no, it's the one in Shanghai. Oh, Shanghai. Yeah. That's the new one in China. Yeah. It's freaking awesome. Um, it is a wow. It is like the craziest ride I've ever seen. Yeah. So I knew I was going to be visiting Disneyland or Disney World to do the Rise of the Resistance thing for or the Smugglers Run thing for quite some time. So I wanted to see what it was all about. And nine-day difference in the quality of the rides between the two. They make it sound like you can actually walk around the replica of the Millennium Falcon. Is that true? 
um, for the most part? Y- y- yes and no. Um, so you walk around. So the Millennium Falcon is actually parked outside of Gal- out, out in the open at Galaxy's Edge. So you can literally walk up and around the outside of it pretty much whenever you want. Unless, of course, the actual queue is really, really long. In which case, if it's coming out of the building, they start winding it and wrapping it around the uh, outside of Millennium Falcon. So, you you know, you can get pretty close, but you can't get as close as you would like. Um, so ostensibly, sure, you can see the outside of the Millennium Falcon anytime. Uh when you get through the main parts of the queue uh, of the ride itself and then you get to the to the inside you will load on to the millennium falcon so you'll be able to sit at the gaming table and take pictures and kind of and stuff like that while you're waiting for your cockpit to open and so yeah so you get to stand around and you kind of walk around a little bit um in, in the deck uh, of the Millennium Falcon and take your selfies and whatever else. And then they'll line you up and get you ready. And then you do get to jump into the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon and fly it and you'll control it and you'll shoot the guns and you'll, you know, and you'll be the engineer setting the shields and all that kind of stuff. So you will actually get to fly the Millennium Falcon and be on the deck of the Millennium Falcon and sit at the table where Chewbacca, you know, could have ripped C-3PO's arms off at the holographic gaming table. Um, so for that aspect of it, sure, you can do that. Why not? Cool. I'll skip it. <laughs> <sighs> anyway, so what do you say now that we've exhausted all of this wonderful Disney ride stuff? Why don't we uh, go ahead and jump into some quick movie uh, recommendations? Sure. Or at least some very quick movie review stuff. Yeah. Courtesy of the Timster. Oh, I guess we're going right into it. <laughs> sure. Yeah, you know, we'll just, uh, you know, it, here we go. It's... Yeah, we don't have to do that, but it's... Okay, very cool. <laughs> um, these are two movies that have been getting, uh, receiving a lot of awards buzz. So I just wanted to mention them. Uh, on top of them receiving awards buzz, uh, they're actually, I think, great biographical films uh, the first one is called Dark Waters. It came out on November 22nd, so about a month ago. Uh, according to Wikipedia here, Dark Waters is a 2019 American legal thriller film directed by Todd Haynes and written by Mario Correa and Matthew Michael Carnahan. It is based on the 2016 article The Lawyer Who Became DuPont's Worst Nightmare by Nathaniel Rich, published in the New York Times magazine. Parts of the story were also reported by yada yada yada. The movie is pretty much about Mark Ruffalo's character named Robert Billet. Uh, I apologize if I'm pronouncing the last name incorrectly. And he is a real person who uncovers... DuPont dumping these chemicals that they were using to make Teflon uh, products and whatnot. They were dumping these chemicals into this like rural landscape that was also getting into the underground water water system that people were drinking and farm animals were drinking and it was poisoning these people. Some of these people and animals were being poisoned over time. Others who had a direct who had direct contact experienced the side effects quicker and it's a david and goliath story especially with it dealing with a corporate lawyer who is usually tasked with defending corporations um i'm sure a lot of you out there know what 
the outcome of the story is, but I don't want to spoil it for those who do not know the outcome of the story. It is probably the scariest movie you'll see all year. I wanted to pretty much check to see if I owned any Teflon products because I wanted to throw them away. That's how scary this movie is. And it doesn't necessarily tell you to throw away Teflon, but it makes you want to go and do more research yourself. And the findings are interesting. And I highly recommend it. This is a 4.5 out of 5 movie for me. Uh, I'm going to jump over to a four-star movie. This is brought to us by Amazon Prime. Yes, this is an Amazon Prime, or I guess just an Amazon movie. According to Rotten Tomatoes, the report is a story of Daniel Jones, lead investigator for the U.S. Senate's sweeping study into the CIA's detention and interrogation program, which was found to be brutal, immoral, and ineffective. With the truth at stake, Jones battled tirelessly to make public what many in power sought to keep hidden. Um, what I really like about both of these biographical films is that they don't sensationalize these films or events. As in, they don't make them more Hollywood feeling. The characters, the story itself, was enough to drive these films, especially the report. Under other hands, it would be over-directed, over-acted, it would be chock-full of dramatic music. This is a very subtle film that takes its time, but because of all of the, the meat within this report and what was discovered, the two hours flies by for the most part my only complaint with the film is that it's not necessarily over-directed. It's directed by a fellow named Scott Z. Burns, uh, who was a screenwriter and producer, and this is one of his only screenwriting credits. It looks like the, or excuse me, one of his only directing credits. It looks like the only other film uh, that he directed was a film back in 2006, and it looks like he directed one or a handful of episodes of Californication, it just seems like, I mean, he nails it on the on the head for the most part. It just felt like maybe the movie was over-edited and the structure felt a little bit wonky during the first half. But these are two great biographical films that I think are important for everyone to watch. I like the report especially because it touches on a little bit uh, on uh, Zero Dark Thirty, the film that came out in 2012, I think. And we all, whoever follows the show religiously, which might be none of you, um, <laughs> Matt and I were a little bit at, uh, at odds with the film. Uh, Matt had issues with it politically. I had uh, issues with it more on, on the filmmaking side itself. But what's interesting is that Zero Dark Thirty came out before the torture report, which is what the report is about, before that report was released. Some of what Zero Dark Thirty focused on was inaccurate, and it led viewers astray. The report is a more important film. Despite it not being maybe a five-star film, it is important enough well-made and well-performed 
that I highly recommend it. It even touches on when Zero Dark Thirty came out and uh, Adam Driver's character of Daniel Jones is watching like this Entertainment Tonight E! News kind of segment on TV when they're talking about, oh, this new film, Zero Dark Thirty, uh, it, it's all about uncovering the torture tactics that led to the raid on capturing bin Laden and all this stuff. And he's sitting there like, you guys got some a lot of this wrong like the people that you're saying knew about things did not know about things the people that didn't know about things according to actually knew fully they were fully aware of what was going on and they are actually the ones to blame and so on and so forth so i give the report a four out of five now i guess we do what other stuff we were going to do which is talk about the movies of the decade Yes, we, we, yes, have, some great... we have a special segment. <laughs> yes, there are a lot of great films and not so great films that came out this past decade. And since, I, I mean, I really didn't think about doing this until last week when everybody started posting lists about the best films of the decade. And then Matt and I started talking. And we were like, hey, we started doing this kind of almost a decade ago, so we're only going to have to talk about two years before we actually start, uh, two years worth of films before we started uh, started the show. So it felt like a nice little fit. And I personally have compiled a list of my top five movies every year since we've started the show. And um, I will be playing along with Tim as we go over 2009 and 2010. So without further ado... Um, here's, here's our movie picks for you. <laughs> I'm a poet and I didn't know it. So we're starting with 09? Sure! Let's jump in. This is, now we're, we're, we're here at wildaboutmovies.com. Tim just, uh, turned me on to this website here. Uh, and we are at, you know, if you go to wildaboutmovies.com, you can go to the movies and then pick your year. We're here at, uh, 2009. And I see two movies off the bat that I know, Matt, you enjoyed. What's that? Bride, Bride Wars, Wars and, and Hotel for Dogs. I'm kidding. Oh, Hotel for Dogs. No, I mean, I uh, one. Paul Blart Mall Cop. I know you enjoyed that one. Oh, yes. Actually, I think that one wasn't so bad, right? Because we did that in a, uh, we covered that in a, in a copycat throwdown with that one versus, uh, Observe, Observe and, and Report. Report. Yeah. Yeah. So, which turned out to basically be nothing alike, uh, as it were. Um, yeah. Uh, so far I'm not seeing anything that I really care about. The only movie um, that they have listed here that came out in January of 09, the only movie out of these that I saw at the theater uh-huh. was Bride Wards. Better, better than me. So far, I haven't seen anything here that I saw at the theater. But you did like Mall Cop. I, I mean, I'm not choosing any of these. Oh, yeah, no. I mean, I remember when we talked about it, you know. Sure. That's cool. Okay. Yeah. So let's move down. Um, um, I don't know what Donkey Punch is. I didn't see Inkheart or Underworld <laughs> 3. Apparently, there is an Outlander movie that came out. Yeah. I'm not joking. I am I mean, okay, Coraline, finally. There's one I've seen before. Did you ever see Fanboys? Um, um I would like to say that I have. It looks familiar, but I, I, I will not confirm that for sure. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll say that having the movie posters available to see really helps jog the old memory because I, f- I forgot the titles of, of most of these. I enjoyed the pink <laughs> Panther too. 
I enjoyed Steve Martin's Pink Panthers. Uh, What did you think about Friday the 13th remake? I forgot what you said about that. Man, it's been so long. And it's been like two years since we talked about it again. I don't remember. (laughs) I I don't. (laughs) I mean, it was Boobfest 09. Hang on. Let's just do this right quick. While you're looking, uh, I saw The International, Two Lovers. Or not The Internet. Yeah, The International. Uh, the Clive Owen and uh, Naomi Watts movie? I, well, I found it. I seemingly liked it enough that um, when we covered it, oh, three years ago, um, that I gave it a three and a half out of five when I gave the original Friday the 13th a three. So, sure, why not? At least, <laughs> not, you know, so, so there's that. Yeah. I got to be honest with you, man, I'm not seeing anything I've seen that, we're in two, 2009 must have been a year. I didn't know. Oh, there, yeah, there's Watchmen. Yeah, not got around to that. Yeah. Uh, you didn't see Badia um, Goes to Jail, I suppose. No. Uh, or Street Fighter, The Legend of Chun-Li, or the Jonas Brothers movie. Uh, no. Watchmen. I remember going to see Watchmen, and I loved it. I don't love it as much now, but I. that was one of my favorite superhero movies for many, 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 many years. And I still think it's a visual treat. I loved I Love You, Man. I went to go see that one, High as a Kite, uh, with a friend of mine in downtown Houston. And we went for a sneak preview, and we ended up sitting next to all of the uh, movie critics that were there. And we had no idea. Those were just the only open seats. And my friend who I went with, Scott, he thought the movie reminded him so much of he and I that he freaked out in the middle of the movie and put his head between his legs. He was wearing a beanie or something or hoodie, and he completely closed himself into his hoodie and started rocking back and forth. That's my greatest memory of (laughs) I Love You, Man. Well, let's see here. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm getting down. It, It takes me getting all the way to May for Terminator Force Salvation um, before I see anything I remember. And, I, and I've always been a fan of Salvation. I mean, it's not a perfect movie, but I, I liked what they were trying to do with it. I liked where they were going with it. Um, I liked the fun CGI cameo of Arnold in it. Um, so that that's cool. Uh, Night at the Museum. So um, a couple movies before May, those, but... uh, in April, a movie came out called alien trespass uh it's pretty much a send-up an ode to all the schlocky cd grade sci-fi horror movies from the uh from the 50s it starred eric mccormick and had a couple other people in it i remember liking that one quite a bit uh but another Mm -hmm. movie that came out in april of 09 was anvil the story of anvil the band Anvil. If you love Spinal Tap, this is like real life Spinal Tap. Absolutely, uh, an absolutely delightful documentary about these musicians trying to make a comeback. Uh, Moon, which we ended up seeing later on. Oh, Drag Me to Hell? Did you ever see point? Drag Me to Hell? Not that I recall. Really? Did you mention Up? Oh, yeah, look at that. There's Up. Oh, yeah. There's a good one. Okay. The Hangover came out in June of that year. Uh, Away We Go, I remember that one was a Sam Mendes movie with John Krasinski and um, Maya Rudolph. That one was really good. 
uh, Land of the Lost, the Will Ferrell. Never saw it. The, I was very interested in seeing it when it came out because it was directed by the guy who made, uh, who did the Jim Carrey Lemony Snicket movie. And mm-hmm. I actually laughed my butt off quite a few times because it was a hard PG-13 movie, which probably didn't sit well with most families since when one thinks of Land of the Lost, you don't think of a raunchy Will Ferrell movie. I'm still trying to just find stuff I've seen. Public Enemies uh, was a letdown. Yeah, Harry Potter uh, and the Half-Blood Prince. Hurt Locker came out then this year. Yeah, Harry Potter, that was uh, um, that one was okay. In the Loop, I liked In, In the Loop. It was directed by the guy who would go on to do uh, Veep. And then that movie, the Russian, the communist movie that came out a couple years ago that we reviewed. Oh, well, the first G.I. Joe movie. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Uh, District 9, Ponyo. Glorious Bastards, one of the best opening scenes, like, pretty much ever. Oh, a great indie film. I love Paul Giamatti because it really seems like he picks and chooses his roles. Cold Souls, about a guy who, if I remember correctly, he wants to get rid of his soul, like he wants to trade his soul or something, and it, like, what you would think, makes things a little bit worse for him. Definitely recommend that one. Uh, the Nine movie came out. That was a pretty interesting movie. That was interesting, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm just not seeing much. <laughs> oh, a Serious Man, Coen Brothers movie. I effing loved it. Bronson? Uh, Saw Six. Oh, yeah, Bronson? Forgot about that one. Where the Wild? Uh, did you see the Where the Wild Things Are? Did we have to cover that for the show? I, I don't doubt remember. that. In a movie that... I know I've, I'm pretty sure I covered it for, I'm the only one who liked it, uh, was Gentleman Broncos that came out that October. Uh, it's directed by the guy who did Jared Hess, who did Napoleon Dynamite, and then uh, uh, Nacho Libre. This was his third movie. Ridiculous funny. It's one of those where a kid writes his sci-fi book and interspersed throughout the book you see or throughout the movie you see like glimpses of the book and it's like sam rockwell playing this ridiculous space adventure character but uh jermaine clement from fly the concords he's this celebrated stephen king like author and he can't think of another story to write so he steals this kid's book idea and makes it himself kid finds out and he's basically on revenge trying to get the story back from Jermaine Clement. Huh. That sounds pretty interesting. Uh, yeah, there's really not much anything for me until the end of the year. Uh, Avatar, uh, Sherlock Holmes. Fantastic Mr. Fox, Bad Lieutenant. Taken. Yeah. So, there's, yeah. I mean, the ones that are good are good. Sure. I watched Crazy Heart for the first time on an airplane. Right on. <laughs> and, of course, just... the Imaginarium of Dr. <laughs> Parnassus was Heath Ledger's final movie. That is correct, yes. Which doesn't get as much notice as... Dark Knight. Yeah. So, moving into 2010. Huh. Edge of Darkness, I remember that. Bitch slap. The Book of Eli. I took some issue with that movie. Had a little family feud, a public family feud on Facebook over that film. Why? Uh, Well, the whole crux of the movie, and spoiler alert for those of you who've never seen it, or care to see it, 
um, is a post-apocalyptic movie, and they're like, there's this book. It's the Book of Eli. This is the book that's going to save the world. It's going to put the world back together. And so what is the Book of Eli? Well, it turns out to be the Bible. I'm fine with that. It's just how they were going about the reveal of it being the Bible. They're making it out to be this grandiose deal. But then you find out, oh, it's the Bible. And it's like, oh, why keep it a secret this whole time? You know, it just really, it fell through. It didn't really add anything to the story. Or the story felt like it was adding up to nothing at that point. Whereas if you were on the religious side, you hear that and, you know, you'd probably take offense to it. How dare you have a subjective opinion about something? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Shutter Island came out in February. That was a good one. Yeah, that was one of the ones I saw. Shutter Island, Date Night. It's a cute movie. Oh, Best Worst Movie. We covered that on the show. That was a fun one. Great documentary called Waking Sleeping Beauty. All about the golden age of Disney. Or is that what they call the golden age? Not the golden age. The early 90s. The Disney Renaissance. The Disney Renaissance. Yes. Ooh, the Nightmare on Elm Street remake came out that year. came out in April. And and I know I'm in the minority on it, but I thought that was a fantastic movie. Um, the Sex in the City movie. Unthinkable. Unthinkable is such a fantastic movie. Uh, it's a, it's really just a, it just, I like, I, I simply just like, uh, the premise of the movie. Give him to the Greek. Uh, it was a fun little comedy. Winner's Boner. Mm-hmm. Of course, that's the movie that got what's her name, her start. Despicable Me. Inception. There you go. Salt, which we covered on the show at one point. We did. The Other Guys. The Expendables came out there. Yes, folks, we know how interesting and exciting this is, listening to us just list movies. Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to getting to uh, <laughs> next year. <laughs> uh, Stone, that that's one of the ones we cover in uh, 2011. Uh, the third Jackass movie. I remember liking that back then. I think 2010. It's a lot of the smaller films I really liked. I don't know why Tangle, the illusion is King Speech, Black Swan. There you go. Stuff. Yeah, we got so we get to some good stuff at the end of the year. Barney's version is a great film. Rabbit Hole was a fantastic film. The Fighter, Black Swan. I love you, Philip Morris. Oh yes, all shows me the covering. You, Philip Morris, is a wonderful movie. True Grit, The Illusionist, The Illusionist twenty ten. Let's see. Oh uh, no, that's and then the, Blue uh, Valentine. That's the animated movie, The Illusionist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. twenty ten. Yeah, but then Blue Valentine. That's right. Call Which back to up- last week's episode. Yes, but it also it'll also be making another appearance here very quickly. All right, so 2011. Um, there's not much I can say about it because I don't remember what I liked or didn't like on the show. So I'll, yes. I'll let you take it away. Okay, so uh, now we we our database is uh, is complete with every movie, but not every rating. And uh, if anybody wants to take it upon themselves to go back and listen to the show and give us our ratings for the for the first you know year or two, hey, go right on ahead. Um, but basically, until 2014, we did not literally start keeping accurate, up to date information in our database, other than just the movies that we watched. Uh, now, of course, we have all of our ratings, the av- the the overall SLS cast rating, which is our average of the two. 
so yeah. And then of course, if, you know, one of us sees a movie, but the other one doesn't, then we put that person's rating in, but not the, not the overall average and everything. So, for 2011, 2012, and 2013, I don't know that these were like the five-star movies of the year, but these are the ones that stand out, and these are the ones that I like, and I'm doing the top, from here on out, I'm just doing the top five uh, from 2011 through 2019. So for 2011, top five for our the original series episodes, I have in this order. I'm putting it number five. Hobo with a shotgun, uh, a big bone of contention in the between uh, Tim and I back in the early days. Um, and it really just kind of boiled down to like one or two key things that we disagreed on. But I mean, the movie itself is definitely uh, at least worth the watch. Whether or not you will rate it highly is up to you. Uh, number four, Horrible Bosses, a definite out-of-nowhere comedy that really kind of Took the world by storm that year. It was a lot of fun. Number three. Which was the first movie you and I saw together at the theater. That sure was. Holy crap. I forgot that we did that together. That's awesome. Um, then uh, number three, Super 8. Yes, J.J. Abrams' Super 8. The love letter to 80s filmmaking um, and the life of children in the early 80s as well. Uh, number two, X-Men First Class, proving once again that a well-executed, wonderful concept for superhero movies can make them work. It doesn't just have to be franchise bait all the time. Uh, sadly, it did not work out to be what it was and instead just became another jumbled mess. But whatever, we'll always have that one. And number one is HUD. We were in the habit of doing classic movies a lot more frequently back then. Um, as much as we still love to talk about them and love to do them, and sometimes even dedicate uh, whole shows to them, it was pretty often uh, in the early days that we would do generally one classic movie a week if we could. And HUD was a movie that we did back then talking about Paul Newman and his career, and we were just absolutely enthralled with it. It was such a wonderful film to get to see and talk about. So that is my top five from 2011. Okay, so I'm just going to go down the list of my favorites from 2011. First up, I saw The Devil. Next up, Paul Giamatti's Win Win. The Lincoln Lawyer, which was the surprisingly inter very entertaining uh, thriller starring Matthew McConaughey or Matthew McConaughey. Uh, next up is Moon, the Moon Director's follow-up Source Code starring Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, the first of three or four uh, movies in this franchise, which I thought was the best, Insidious, came out in April of 2011. Uh, the remake of Robin Hood, Tony Scott, or excuse me, Ridley Scott's remake of Robin Hood, holds a special place in my heart. Uh, this film was one of the last films I watched with my grandfather before he passed away, and I remember making the poor decision of playing the director's cut which is like 30 minutes longer through the film and during the climax of the movie my grandfather um concerningly asked when this film was going to be over uh woody allen's midnight in paris was probably one of his last great 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 films the tree of life one of my all-time favorite terrence malick movies really hit home if 
uh, for those of you who uh, remember my review from 2011. Uh, the wonderful film Beginners with Christopher Plummer that he got the Best Supporting Actor uh, Award uh, Oscar for, and Ewan McGregor, absolutely charming movie. Super 8, this was the last film that I saw with my grandfather at the movie theater, so Super 8 will always have a special place in my heart. Uh, the Trip, starring Steve Coogan and Rob Ryden. Uh, they're currently making The Trip Part 4, uh, so, and they're all lovely, but nothing beats the first trip of the series. Absolutely charming film. Horrible bosses, Matt. This holds a soft place in my heart as well, because this was the first movie you and I saw together. Uh, Captain America, the first Avenger. I, this movie has a soft place in my heart because I like this one more than Matt, and we had an interesting conversation about it. Uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, I thought was fairly interesting. I thought Fright Night was a more than decent remake of a classic film. Uh, Drive, probably the best film from 2011. Well, no. It's the second or third best. Uh, Tree of Life is definitely better than Drive, but Drive, I think, was one of the biggest surprises out of 2011. Uh, Puncture was a wonderful smaller indie film starring Chris Evans. Fifty uh, Fifty was another great uh, a drama dramedy turn from Chris, uh, not Chris Rogan, Seth Rogan and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And then we have Tucker and Dell versus Evil, The Artist, Shame, Young Adult, Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, Adventures of Tintin, This Must Be the Place, uh, starring Sean Penn, who's the retired uh, rock star, a beautiful film itself. And of course, Rubber. Rubber. I always thought was a very interesting film because I never said it was a great film. I just thought they took a bizarre story, a bizarre idea, and they actually made a competent film out of it. And I think that alone is is worthy of a watch itself. So, yeah, I thought 2011 was a more than okay year. I mean, obviously more interesting things came out compared to 09 and 010. So then let's move into 2012. Uh, my top five for 2012. Uh, the number five spot um, is nothing. Uh, the number four spot is nothing because we only covered three movies in 2012 that year due to how we came back and rebooted the show so my number three spot is life of pi uh my number two spot uh, which and of course life of pi based on the book um which was a best-selling book back then and uh follows the story of pi who is shipwrecked uh and marooned in a boat if you will with a tiger and then, of course, this changes his life. Um, next up, number two is The Grey, which was the wolf hunting movie with Liam Neeson. And finally, Hiro Dreams of Sushi, the documentary about the world-famous sushi chef in Tokyo, which was awesome. Back to you. Cool. Well, 2012 was a very interesting year. Uh, the Avengers came out as well as the first Raid movie, Titanic, saw a re-release. We got our three, 
our our the Three Stooges movie. Which Matt, did you ever see that film? The new Three Stooges movie? Well, I mean, it was new in 2012. Mm, uh, maybe I'm gonna go with no. I don't remember it. <laughs> That's the one with the the funny guy from Will and Grace, right? Chip. He What's plays like Curly or something. No, he played Larry. I mean, he was in it though. Yeah. Right. Will Will Sasso too? Isn't he? Will he was Sasso Curly, was right? Curly. There you go. Yeah, I think I remember that one now. There you go. Okay, so all those delightful little films came out. On top of all that, probably the most entertaining movie of the year, I thought, was, of course, not Skyfall, which is also very entertaining, but Cabin in the Woods. I, of course, loved Life of Pli... Life of Plight. Jeez. Life of Ply. Oh, my gosh. Life of Pi. I thought it was a technical marvel. Uh, Silver Linings Playbook, of course, was a an awards darling that year. As well as Amour and a bunch of other different flicks, Zero Dark Thirty and Django Unchained. Um, but Cabin in the Woods was damn entertaining. As well as, of course, Skyfall, Cloud Atlas, uh, Beasts of the Southern Wild, which was a lovely, lovely film that came out that year. But another movie that gets no love that I only watched recently that came out in 2012 is William Friedkin's, yes, that William Friedkin who made The Exorcist. It's a movie he did with Emil Hirsch of uh, Thomas Hayden Church, I think is his name. Uh, it's a, a movie called Killer Joe based on a play written by Tracy Letts. Uh, guys, check it out. It's a wonderful... If you want to see... Matthew McConaughey in an NC-17 role, an NC-17 film. Check it out. It's a deep-fried Texas redneck thriller, I guess. So, yep, that was my 2012. Right on, right on. Okay, then, moving into 2013, my top five here. Um, and again, these are these might not be... Uh, the highest rated movies that I gave, but these are the ones that stood out for me. Um, you know, if you go back and listen to the show and would like to give us some corrections, please feel free. Uh, number five for me, End of Watch. We have number four, which is, of course, the great, uh, that's Aronofsky, right? If End of Watch? Correctly. No, I think that was David Ayer. Hey, thank you, Ayer. Thank you, Ayer. Sorry, David Ayer. It's, uh, the, it's my favorite David Ayer movie. Um, and then, uh, number four is The Perfect Host, a wonderful indie film featuring, uh, David Hyde Pierce, who plays a rather insane person who hosts dinner parties. Uh, then number three, of course, is This Is The End, an absolutely hilarious film that I remember laughing to the point of almost peeing my pants in the theater. It was great. Um, number two, uh, Blue Valentine. We ended up finally, finally, finally covering this on the show. And it was just an absolutely phenomenal movie. Stunning movie. Well deserved of all of its praise. And Tim and I both enjoyed it greatly. To the point that it's brought up pretty frequently. Or at least every once in a while. Including last week. Uh, number one. Uh, Django Unchained. Django! That's right, ladies and gentlemen. The... Quentin Tarantino flick starring Jamie Foxx. Um, 
Yeah. It's just an absolute stunner of a film. One of my favorites. And that is my list. 2013. I'm surprised uh, 20 Feet from Stardom didn't make your list. Um, It's because it'll be on next year's list. I see. Because we didn't cover it until... 2014, because it was an Oscar movie for uh, there Okay, that's right. Because you are going off of... What we that. rated during... Yes. Okay. Well, I will be catching up to that next year, in 2014, where I have put all of that groovy stuff together. So, Matt, 2013 was a very interesting year. You had a, a lot of... A mixture of different types of films. Lone Survivor, Anchorman, The Legend of... not the, It's not The Legend of Ron Burgundy. Whatever the sequel to Anchorman is called. Uh, that movie came out, but that was definitely not the best. What were the better films, in my opinion? Where John dies at the end. Uh, again, another Paul Giamatti, at least uh, in this film, he was a supporting character. Sound City, a wonderful documentary about Sound City Studios here in L.A. Room 237, a very interesting and controversial documentary about the making of The Shining and what may have or what may have not been the thought process behind the making of The Shining. Uh, the Evil Dead remake, I thought it was a wonderful, straight-laced, incredibly gory remake. Mud, a uh, wonderful, beautiful film starring Matthew McConaughey. Before Midnight, which is the third sequel of the Before trilogy, directed by Richard Linkletter, starring Ethan Hawke. Um, the Hunt was a big Oscar movie that we covered in 2014. Uh, the World's End was a wonderful little film that I didn't fully appreciate until my second viewing. Edgar's Wright conclusion to the Cornetto trilogy came out in August of 2013. 12 Years a Slade, a Slade, oh my goodness, 12 Years a Slave, Nebraska, Her, uh, all those were awards, darlings, but wonderful films in their own right. All right, are we ready to move into 2014? Sure. Okay. 2014's top five for me. Number five, Guardians of the Galaxy. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. The love affair with Guardians of the Galaxy and Chris Pratt and co. Um, is is still strong with this one. And while Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 did not garner a five-star rating. I felt it was still enjoyable. It still, nevertheless, would not have been the movie that it was had we not gotten my five-star rated Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, I then have uh, 20 Feet from Stardom, number four, because it was, uh, one of, you know, again, Oscar-nominated documentary and is really, really good. Uh, we have Drew, the man behind the poster, and I I gave this one a five. Uh, Tim did not. I, I actually don't have it handy anymore. I don't remember when he gave it, but um, it, it was high. It, it just wasn't a five. And um, it's just you know fascinating to relive that area of nostalgia in your life. Number two, the Grand Budapest Hotel. Ah, uh, Wes Anderson, making life lovable through film and cinema. All over again. And number one, of course, you probably knew this one was coming, The Wolf of Wall Street. And uh, it's just a, one of those unstoppable juggernaut films that will 
probably be discussed for many, many years to come. And I'm uh, pretty sure that closes out the list there. So uh, what do you got, or at least for this for this episode? What do you got there, Tim? Yes. So to close out this episode, I'm just going to do my 4.5s, and if I have a 5, I will name that as well. Um, because I didn't do too much preparation for this. Uh, first up, 4.5 movie, Frank. I believe that was the Michael Fassbender movie when he was wearing that big head. I We covered it on the show. Uh, I remember that being a very interesting and fun flick. Starred up, Deep Red. That was a Dario Argento movie that we covered during uh, uh, October. Another 4.5 movie, John Wick. Yes, 2014 was the start of the John Wick franchise, and that was a lot of fun to watch, as well as Birdman. Now, as for my five star flicks... Suspiria, the other Dario Argento, Dario Argento flick that we covered for the Dario Argento fest we threw that October. Love that film. Uh, Whiplash came out that year. I remember, Matt, this was another film that we had a little bit of a disagreement on. That was a five-star flick. Psycho, we covered that one. And then All That Jazz. Yeah, not. I don't have that many newer flicks that I rated highly. So what a way to cap off part one of our 10-year retrospective. Part two will be much smoother and much shorter, followed by our look forward into our look into um, n- number uh, into 2020, as it were. Into so 2020. Indeed, Rooney. All right. Well, then, yes. So that concludes this wonderful special segment that we had. And again, next week, we're going to just do the closing segment uh, or the only segment will be our completion of this list. And then um, we'll be moving into what we want to be look what we're looking forward to in 2020. So, without further ado, how about we get down to the spiel? What do you say, sir? Spiel on! You set him up and I'll knock him back, Lloyd. One by one. White man's burden, Lloyd, my man. White man's burden. Say, Lloyd, it seems I'm temporarily light. <laughs> How's my credit in this joint, anyway? Your credit's fine, Mr. Torrance. That's swell. I like you, Lloyd. I always liked you. You were always the best of them. Best goddamn bartender from Timbuktu to Portland, Maine. Or Portland, Oregon, for that matter. Thank you for saying so. Alright, well the music you've been listening to as always has been brought to us by our music partners Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace. As for us, we have of course the SLS Cast. You can find us at SLScast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLScast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at the SLScast. You can of course follow me, this is Matt, on Twitter at nitwit12345. You can of course come aboard that information super and swipe down to him on Twitter if that's your heart's desire. Don't forget you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and our favorite on Stitcher Radio as well as track us down on the old Spotify and Google Play and other podcast directories. If you'd like to support the show, head on over to 
patreon.com and check us out over there. And so until next week, this is Matt saying that thanks to Rene Abrejanois, I get to say this. If you do your job properly, you usually earn a lot of money from any role you do. Take care, cinephiles, and we'll talk at you again next week. Madam, perhaps we should be going. Oh, very well, monsieur. Thank you so much. So nice to see you. And I hope very much we will see you again very soon. Au revoir, monsieur. Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. You can find us over at slscast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. And of course, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>